I'm George Siegel, and this is the Move the World podcast. If you have thoughts or ideas but are hesitant to put them into action, you've come to the right place because I'd like to introduce you to people with inspirational stories that motivate you to do something to make the world a better place. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Move the World podcast. Every week on this program, we try to introduce you to people who in their lives or in their job are doing something to try and help move the world. And it can be something major or it can be something small, but something that benefits other people and makes a difference. My guest today is Eris Papadopoulos, an international pioneer in consumer-driven resilience. Uh, he's a construction industry veteran and World Trade Center 9-11 survivor. He helped start the UN's private sector disaster initiative, now called Arise. Upon retiring, he was named Distinguished Expert in Resilience at Florida International University and wrote the book Resilience, the Ultimate Sustainability, which inspired the one-hour documentary Built to Last. And I have the book right here. It's my Bible that I also used uh, a great deal of this information and Eris himself in my documentary film, The Last House Standing. Eris, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. George, thank you for having me. Congratulations for the uh, podcast, for your own documentary, and for everything you're doing to, to help consumers. Well, I appreciate it. And you were a huge help. I, I like to let people know that. It, it, not so much. I mean, we both have films that are kind of trying to do the same thing but we're not competing. We both have the same goal. And so I want everybody to see your film. It's available. You'll, you'll talk about that um, a little later, but everybody should see your film. Everybody should see mine and, and, and hopefully they'll do something. So right out of the box, Eris, tell us what you do to move the world. Well, what I'm trying to do in the, uh, you know, in the third phase, what I call my life, my retired life, is to help consumers, the ordinary homekeeper, homeowner, make a better choice when they're seeking and, and buying or renting a house and when they're renovating and, and spending money on remodeling to do things that will help both their family uh, survive uh, through a natural hazard and also their pocketbook uh, so they don't lose their, their egg nest, which for most people is their home. Yeah, it is. I mean, most that, that's their biggest investment. Most of the money is tied up in that house, yet people seem to be more concerned about other aspects of their life a lot more than their house. Why do you think that is? Well, uh, I like to say that we don't necessarily do what is good for us. We do what is marketed to us. And there's a lot of other things that are being marketed to us uh, other than you know how important it is to be in a resilient, a hazard safe home. So we buy a lot of things. We stuff our homes with all sorts of gadgets some people call them smart gadgets, uh, green gadgets, uh, you know, all sorts of things. But when that structure is vulnerable to the local hazards, be that wind, water, fire, or earthquakes, everything gets lost. The house and all the things we put in it. So, you know, it's a shame that, uh, you know, we're the victims, let's say, of, of marketing. Um, and we need to be speaking the truth as we're trying to do on shows like this and, and what you're doing to consumers about really what's in their, their personal interest. You know, it's interesting. You and I are probably a couple of geeks, but when I was, I went to your house to interview you for the film and rather than show me the fire pit and the countertops and where you might have a nice floor, you were showing me the safety features of your house. You were showing me the things that made that house something that could survive a hurricane. I think that's when we'll know we've really arrived when people are, are proud of those things, but most people don't even talk about them. 
Exactly. And I try to spread the learning, uh, you know, people who, who talk to me, you know, I, I kind of give them advice when, when they want that. And I also helped create a guide. It's called the Buyer's Guide to Resilient Homes. It was just uh, released about a month ago. And it's like having me or a, a friend or, or a knowledgeable uncle kind of next to you, kind of giving you some pointers as to things you should be looking at when you're seeking, comparing different neighborhoods, and when you're looking at different houses, things that the realtors really will not be telling you, will not be pointing out to you. So, I mean, if you can put yourself in a, in a safe uh, neighborhood from hazards and in a resilient house, uh, that'll mean a lot to your family and to building that, that egg nest that uh, most of us try to build in our homes. You know, because the real estate market is so on fire right now, you know, houses get multiple offers. So if you walk in and you're asking all these questions, I think people some might be intimidated to think, oh, they're going to think I'm a pain in the neck. Or if you don't get the answers and don't buy the house for that reason, somebody else will buy it. But my feeling is stop rewarding these guys for building things that aren't safe. Somebody's got to lay down the law there and just say enough already. We're tired of buying things that aren't going to survive. Yeah, you're very right. Unfortunately, we, we live in a buyer beware uh, property world where really you have to be your own detective, let's say, uh, when you're looking for a, a home or, or property um, or when you're looking at, at remodeling. And there are things you can do on your own. I mean, today we have a, a vast ability to access information. Uh, I tell people, you know, floods are everywhere, whether you're in the coast or, or inland, close to rivers or streams or lakes or even just gullies. And, and there's another great resource online called floodfactor.com. It's provided by a nonprofit called the First Street Foundation. And they're not trying to get your personal information or sell you anything. You just put in the address and you'll see on a rating from one to 10, how risky uh, from floods that location is. So I, I do that, that automatically when, if I'm looking at different neighborhoods, different properties, at least screen the ones that are at, the, at the, the worst end, the lower end, which are, you know, one, two, three, uh, four, and try to go for properties that are in the higher end. So you can do that uh, on your own typically. Uh, and plus you could look at different houses. Uh, you know, there's some information maybe on the MLS sheets, but not that much. But if you're, if you're looking in a, in a hurricane prone area, a heavy roof, uh, a, what I call a, a hip roof that is uh, angled on all sides, with a low profile and heavy tile on, on that, uh, that's the safest thing to, to have. And it will last a long time. I mean, those, those let's say like I have a concrete uh, tile roof, uh, each piece of tile weighs probably 15 uh, or more pounds. I mean, that's gonna last 50 years. Uh, so, you know, you, you, it, it does pay to, to be resilient. So the Home Buyer Guyer's Guide uh, will give you some, some great tips to rely on. So in today's market, if you're going to pay the full price or a premium, at least do it on a house that's resilient, not on one that's going to be vulnerable and it's going to cost you down the road. Now, you really have to put a little bit of thought into flooding as well, because we saw from Hurricane Harvey in Houston, those people did not live in a flood zone that sustained the most damage. I think we saw it this year with um, Hurricane Ida, that when it got up to the northeast, places that have never had that kind of rainfall all of a sudden had massive flooding. So how do you forward think that? So you're not in a flood zone, but you still could have a flooding event. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if, well, first of all, the government maps, FEMA maps are not uh, that, that reliable. Uh, more than 30% of floods happen outside of the, 
the, the zones that they consider flood zones. So I wouldn't re necessarily rely on that. Um, you know, if you're knowledgeable about terrain, yeah, you can look at the terrain. I, my rule of thumb is try to be at least 15 feet above any local water level, be that a river, a creek, or even just a low point of a gully or, or a valley, be at least 15 feet. But as I mentioned, you know, uh, now you can use uh, the, these apps like floodfactor.com, which have done all that homework for you and will give you that rating. So, you know, uh, I think the consumer has a, a lot more uh, to not be in the blind, let's say, uh, in this buyer beware world that we still live in. Now, there's so many things in this book that, that provide great information. If you had to pick out a couple of things that you think are absolute takeaways that, that somebody should focus on so much, we know one is flooding. What, what's another thing that they might really want to just get in their mind so they do it? Well, I think one important point in the book is that, you know, the codes we have and, and you know, our, our country is a, a patchwork of inconsistent codes. I mean, some, some states have the latest uh, code, let's say the 2018 version. Uh, some states have the 2015. Some states have codes but don't require them in all their counties. And some states have nothing at all. Um, so, you know, but even the, the places that have codes, uh, those codes are really set at levels to give you enough time to get out of the house, not really to save the house. So really, it's a, it's a very low standard. And, uh, you know, don't be proud if somebody says, uh, you know, your house is built to code. Well, you know, that's going to just get, give you enough time to escape. If you really want, you know, to protect your investment and your family and your possessions, you need to be above the code. And, and that's what a lot of these kind of, you know, optional standards uh, like Fortified that comes out of the Institute for Building Home Safety. I mean, they've set kind of a, a gold standard uh, for Fortified that reinforces the walls reinforces the wind. It can't really survive, let's say, a hurricane, a cat three or four or five hurricane, but at least it will survive a cat one and two hurricane or an EF one and two uh, uh, tornado uh, because the codes will not. The codes will hardly even sa save you in a cat one uh, hurricane or, or tornado in, in, in most places. So, you know, try to go above the code. And I like to tell people, you know, in which part of our lives do we just go to the minimum? You know, is it in our education? Is it in our healthcare? Is it in our, our own lifestyle? Uh, we don't. We, we like to be in our in our nutrition. You know, we like to do better. We like to buy organic foods. We like to you know do do things that are are better than just the minimum. And yet, the most important decision and investment we will make in our lives, which is our home, we are automatically put at the minimum, which is is the code. Uh, so you know. The, the system is essentially stacked against us and we have to take matters into our own hands. I think in that rocket mortgage commercial where they said they do the just okay and you see all the things that are not just okay, having a, a home that's just built to code should not be okay. So I, I don't know what you thought of when you were making your film, when we were making ours, it's like, okay, who's the bad guy here? We asked a builder in Oklahoma whose responsibility it was to build safer houses. Is it the homeowner to demand it or the builder to build it for people. And he said, it's up to the home buyer to demand more because a builder may put all that stuff in, but they don't know that somebody's going to buy it. So it's kind of like the chicken and the egg thing, which, which comes first here. Yes, exactly. It's, it's this chicken and egg because with a consumer today that doesn't value or understand or appreciate resilience, the buyers, the, the supplier, the builder is not going to supply it. So when, when a supplier, let's say a builder looks at the code system 
And there are code from time to time, every three years or four years, you know, the codes are re-looked at, but their associations will fight down anything that adds cost and resilience will add some cost. So they are there lobbying, uh, you know, and fighting down to keep the code as low as possible because to them it's a cost. And that cost means it's a loss of profit. And it's a loss of profit because the consumer will not pay an extra cent or dollar for it. Like we pay an extra you know, dollar for that organic product in the, in the supermarket or that green product that we, we prefer to buy, whether that's a, a car or, or some other device with a, with a low energy, uh, you know, with a high energy efficiency rating. So, you know, we are not educated in consumers. So we, we need to ask the question, whose fault is it really that consumers are still in the dark? Is it the government's fault? Is it the media's fault? Is it, you know, someone else's fault? You know, the educational system uh, or, or all of those combined, you know? But our government uh, has done a poor job uh, educating consumers on this specific issue. Uh, a much better job was done decades ago on car safety. Uh, I still remember those, uh, those cars with dummies crashing into walls. I mean, they, they made an impact in all of us and the car companies really did uh, things to improve uh, car safety. And today you wouldn't buy, even if it was offered to use an option, a car that didn't have those improvements. And we saw in Moore, Oklahoma, after four major tornadoes, and I think they had eight over a certain amount of years, that they finally changed the building code so that it doesn't stop you from getting steamrolled by a EF5, but the one the, if you're out to the sides of it, you have a lot better chance of surviving by having a better garage, different roof. But the builder also told us there that if you gave the home buyer a choice of granite countertops or a safer home, in his opinion, most people would still have chosen the granite countertops. And that's after four major tornadoes. They should have got the idea after one. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I think the, the consumer, again, you know, the, the marketing of cosmetics is so intense. I mean, you know, watch the Better Home and Gardens TV or, you know, open any home magazine and, and what do you get? You know, all the images and all the promotion of, of all these, you know, cosmetic products, which, which I, you know, li- uh, all of us like to have those. But what has higher priority? You know, we're not marketing, we're not communicating enough the priority of resilience. So, you know, I'd love to get, you know, some of the people who have been through uh, some of these events uh, featured, you know, who were featured in, in your documentary and mine, and, and there's thousands, tens of thousands of others to kind of get up in front of their, you know, peers uh, nationwide and say, this is what I learned. You know, yes, I had these these beautiful things in my house, but I learned really that the first value, the first thing I should pay attention to is having a wind rated roof or, you know, a, a house that's, uh, you know, elevated uh, above a certain level to prevent flooding or things like that. We need to be doing that constantly and we're not. Well, why would a bunch of industries, why wouldn't FEMA, why wouldn't insurance companies, all these people, why aren't there PSAs like there are about other things, about throwing trash, about uh, polluting why aren't we seeing that to educate people? It seems like that's an absolute no-brainer. Why does the concrete industry, which I've had a hard time getting any money out of for any project I've ever done, why aren't they doing it? Why, aren't, why isn't somebody waving the flag and, and trying to make a difference? Yeah, I, I, when I was um, you know, an executive in the industry, I tried to move the industry uh, in, in that direction, but it's, it's very difficult to, from the inside even to, to do things. Uh, that's why after I retired seven years ago, I started the nonprofit, 
I wrote the book, uh, the, the documentary, and I'm trying to do all these other things to get out to consumers. So I, I think, you know, it is a, you know, what's going to prime the pump here? Because I think industry is waiting for a certain kind of, you know, percent of market uh, awareness before they come in. You know, I, I kind of believe in that this S-curve phenomena where, you know, for, for a long time, you're kind of below the radar screen. But then once you break through like the five to 10 percent of people kind of, you know, moving in that direction, then the herd moves behind it. Uh, and you have that steep part of the S-curve, you know, when, when things change. We saw similar phenomena with the green movement. I mean, it took decades to get, you know, people interested in green products and or organic products. But then once that started happening, you know, you had that that really uh, upscaling of it. So I think business is waiting for, you know, others. Uh, and I think it, it's falling on activists like ourselves, uh, you know, nonprofits and, and uh, you know, these, these initiatives to do things. And unfortunately, government is the last to jump in, you know. The politicians, you know, pick up something when it's already, you know, they already see the wave coming and they'll, they'll, they'll jump and try to, you know, ride the wave. But they're not going to create waves, you know. Well, I was, I was surprised that FEMA let us in to, to do the interview. They even said, how did you get in here? Because most people want to blast them. I think they liked the idea that we were trying to say, let's be proactive. Let's do education on the front side. There's just so many graphic examples of damage and destruction every year. I would think the message should already be pretty clear. It's frustrating that we're still talking about it has to catch up to these industries. I think the, I just don't get it. Yeah, I, I was studying the uh, infrastructure bill that, that got passed recently, you know, $1.2 trillion. I mean, it like, sounds like a huge amount of money over five years. But, you know, only 2.5% of that, 2.5% of that has anything to do with trying to help uh, make homes uh, resilient. And unfortunately, even when you dig deeper into that, it's not really going to do very much to, to many people. So, you know, this, this huge infrastructure bill is, is really not something that, you know, we can say that, you know, you can, you can sleep uh, better because, you know, your home's going to be protected in the future. Um, the burden still is on the, on the shoulders of the consumer to do something. So our government has been very slow. I mean, if, if they cared about, uh, you know, resilience, they would have done a lot more to do away with this fragmented building code system that we have today, that essentially the federal government is, is stepping in, paying the bills. Uh, for it for, to, to a large extent, you know. Uh, so you have uh, local interests, uh, you know, that are being heavily lobbied by, by industry, uh, setting rules and laws. And then when, when things get destroyed, they, they cry help and they, you know, uh, ask the government to, to, to pay for it, you know, which means they're, they're asking all of us to pay for it, right? All the yeah. taxpayers essentially are having to pay for the, the bad decisions made locally. And we know what those decisions should be, uh, so I think, you know, there, there's also a, a, a diligence a component here that uh, maybe you want to touch on, you know, because uh, lawyers may have a, a role to play here in the future. Yeah, you know, I, th we live in such a divided country of, of politics where everybody just trenches in on a position. This should transcend that. This is we're all homeowners. We all live places. We shouldn't care what what political affiliation we are. We should care. Is it safe? Is it benefiting us? But I don't know how you get to that point. It seems like it's a long road ahead. It will have to be a grassroots uh, kind of uh, movement to, to start with. Uh, that, that's one reason I, I was very interested in, in uh, helping uh, start the 
Resilience Youth Network. Uh, I had an intern, I had a couple of interns, uh, but one of the two came to me and said, you know, I want to bring together a, a network where young people, uh, and that was defined kind of from 18 to 35, can really get together, uh, obviously online, uh, and discuss these topics and learn from each other and network and connect with people and resources uh, who are around. So uh, I helped them get it started, and it's grown down to about 100 or more uh, young people around the country, uh, even in other countries from diverse backgrounds. So I'm putting more faith in the next generation, let's say, to be smarter than we were in, uh, in doing the right things. Yeah, the bar is pretty low, so uh, they, they ought to be able to do that. Now, when we look at the um, house in Mexico Beach that we fe featured in the film, they went 28 feet into the sand with pylons. Obviously, everybody that owns coastal property can't go to that extent. Or can you? Is, I mean, what's the, how much does that add to a cost of a project if you exceed code? Is that going to just scare too many people away? Well, it depends the location you're at. Obviously, if you're right on the beachfront, it's going to be more expensive than if you're like three, four blocks uh, inland. So the, the, the first question, you know, anyone should ask is, is, you know, how risky is the location? Because the riskier the location is, the more money you're going to have to spend to put a resilient house there. So the two go hand in hand. I mean, if you, if you can pick a location that's a little bit ele more elevated uh, from, from the coastline, uh, that uh, you know is is can allows water to flow away from it rather than, than toward it. Uh, that's not next to the you know right next to the wildlife forest. Uh, you know all those things. Then it's going to cost you less to put a resilient uh, house up. Uh, but obviously, wind is a factor in most of the eastern U.S. east of the Rockies, whether that's that's uh, hurricanes or tornadoes. And and today, uh, I believe you know the, the the minimum you should be building to is at least 135 miles an hour, which is kind of the more code, the fortified gold. Uh, and if you're on the coast, you should be building really to Miami's um, hurricane wind standards, uh, which have been proven to work now for, for at least three decades. So, you know, do these things cost more? Yes. Uh, maybe they, they cost, you know, 10, uh, you know, 15% more overall. But in the, in the scheme of things, you know, that's very little compared to all the things you're going to buy and put in the house, the expenses you're going to have paying higher insurance. And I believe down the road, these resilient houses will be worth a lot more than the vulnerable ones. Already, we're starting to see that kind of differentiation in some coastal uh, you know, properties uh, that are flood prone. Uh, so that wake up hasn't yet happened on a, on a mass scale, but some people are calling it the great repricing. Uh, which will be the time that enough, let's say, uh, people in, in the financial markets and consumers wake up to the fact that vulnerable properties are worth a lot less. Now, a, a lot, most of Florida, not built to South Florida standards, Mexico Beach changed the wind code from 130 miles an hour, I think, to 140 miles an hour after a Category 5 hurricane wiped them out. Shouldn't that have been an idea of, hey, this happened. It could happen again. Let's raise our game to really survive it. They're not even building back. If they got hit by another Michael next year, they would have the same thing happen again. Yeah, they should have adopted the uh, South Florida uh, wind, wind standard, period. Uh, but, you know, what happened is, is, is in, in those kind of, you know, discussions and, and those, um, you know, uh, commission meetings, the, the home builder industry came in and said, look, 
you know, don't do this. Uh, we won't be able to, you know, build things affordably and people won't be able to afford, uh, you know, buying them. And they convinced the politicians to do that. Obviously, some some donations also help in that direction, you know, in political, uh, you know, influence. Uh, so the, the, the people who, you know, are officials who are in charge, who should be thinking about consumers, you know, are more worried about what the home builders uh, say because they want to maximize their profit. Yes, it will cost more, but it costs costs more to do a lot of things. It costs more to have better schools. It costs more to have better health. Um, you know, so isn't this being in a, in a safe home one of those important things that we should be as a society saying, yeah, we will pay a little more uh, to be safe and not be constantly, uh, you know, under the threat of destruction. Uh, that's what these politicians should be thinking. Yeah, I wish when they were figuring out that cost chart, they could talk to victims and understand the real cost of what that storm did, because it's beyond fixing their house. It's the disruption in their lives. It's the possible loss of a job, people leaving the school. I mean, people moved out of the district. They lost so many people in Panama City and Mexico Beach that just moved away that the cost is much more than just the repair cost, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. The, the personal cost to people is, 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 is much higher when you think of the, the impact on people's lives, on people's uh, ability to concentrate on work, on people's health, uh, you know, the, the time they have to spend uh, away from the house while it's being rebuilt. You know, the, the impact on, on people's lives is tremendous. Uh, we're doing a, a, a survey, we're analyzing a survey that we did a few months ago, and uh, you helped us to kind of, uh, you know, get in touch with some of the local people there in Mexico Beach. Uh, this is being done between Resilience Action Fund, my nonprofit, and the Wharton School of Risk. Uh, so we're analyzing, we had over 100 uh, respondents, uh, essentially homeowners who were impacted by um, uh, Hurricane Matthew. And, and we're, we're going to, you know, release the conclusions of that uh, in a month or so. And it's, you know, it's really going to uh, be a telling story about how, you know, people were impacted, even if, if they had insurance, you know, even with insurance, you know, uh, the impact was, was tremendous. But, you know, on the other subject of, you know, why these rules are still, you know, uh, our officials are dragging their feet. You know, I'm hoping in a future documentary that maybe both of us can, can do together, we can go into those uh, commission meetings with our cameras and really point the cameras at the people kind of, you know, uh, making decisions that will, they know and they're being told will hurt, uh, you know, their, their, their residents, their citizens there um, and, and hold them more accountable to what they're, they're deciding, and also point the camera at the people who are trying to influence them, the home building mm -hmm. industry, you know? Uh, so, you know, maybe we need this kind of uh, spotlight uh, to, to be put on the industry and the officials so they can take their roles uh, more responsibly. Yeah, the one other cost, I mean, a couple of people that I sent you, it was the criminal element that came in after the storm and either took over their insurance, you know, they signed the insurance over to them so they could do the work and then these people disappeared or they just ripped them off. It's like putting a light on in the dark and all the mosquitoes come out after a disaster, the cockroaches. And a lot of that happens all the time. So that, and that's another cost. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just a preliminary figure that, uh, you know, I can share with you now from the survey, you know, about 30% of the people responded that they had been victims of a scam in, in the recovery process, 30%, you know, and, and, and that is terrible. So that's another uh, cost and impact that people will face, you know, if they are vulnerable. 
Uh, the other thing that we uh, you know, observe and witness in these post-disaster recoveries is that the, the price and cost of everything goes up. You know, materials, labor, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, all the services, uh, costs, I call it uh, post-disaster inflation. So not only you know, are you going through this, this traumatic period, but everything that costs, let's say X before, may cost X plus 20, 30% more after, you know? So, you know, you thought you saved money by not spending it before, but you're gonna spend that money plus a premium afterwards, you know, plus all the personal, you know, uh, costs that it's gonna cause you. So it's a false economy, it's a false affordability. And, you know, our officials have to, to know that when they're, you know, buying into this argument that, you know, we can't afford uh, to, to go to a higher standard. You know, if people in Miami are, are, are able to afford for the last 30 years, um, you know, hurricane uh, proof homes, uh, you know, to, to a category four, let's say level, uh, I'm sure everyone on the Gulf Coast and, and the vulnerable Atlantic Coast should be able to afford it. Yeah, but we really tried to show in the last house standing, and I know you did that in Built to Last, is when you see the victims after a disaster, the, they're just, it changes their lives. And, and so what I was really trying to encourage people, do everything you can to avoid being a disaster victim because then you've lost control of your destiny. Exactly, yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, it's very painful and it cannot sometimes be put even into you know, dollars and cents figures, you know, the, the trauma that uh, people, I mean, just losing your, your you know, the things you, you accumulated you know, from your, from your family, from, you know, your, your parents, whatever, you know, uh, all the memories that you had, I mean, you know, your whole life, essentially, you know, you, you go back to, to, to start. Okay. Well, if it's a second home, you know, and your primary home is somewhere else, you, you may think differently, but for most people, this is their primary home. This is, you know, where they've arrived after years of work and effort and, and, and experience and memories. Yeah, something interesting that uh, Roy Wright said to us in, in The Last House Standing, you see the people on the coast, the news will come and cover all those people that were wiped out. Yet a mile or two inland are a lot of people that also got wiped out. So the disaster, their stories aren't even told. Mm -hmm. they, they're just victims. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's so many of them. That's why I say, you know, if, if we want to try to convince the public, uh, those are the people we need to put up front, you know. Uh, I don't think we need to put experts or, you know, uh, government people, you know, or, or myself or yourself. Let's put the people who learned uh, from that experience, you know, tell us in their own words what they would do and differently and what they would re recommend to others. Yeah, I think that would be very powerful. So how can people get the book and then how can they see your film? Let's let's get them to both of those things. Yeah, well, my website is uh, buildingresilient.com. Uh, so you can access the book, which is available in uh, electronic form, in a paperback, English or Spanish, and recently was also made into an English audiobook uh, through Audible. So you can get all that good information there. And you can also uh, see the entire one-hour documentary for, for free uh, by going to built2last.org. Uh, so, and that's also referenced in the, um, in, in my uh, resilience website. So maybe, maybe you can show those uh, on, on your screen too, for, for people who, you know, can't write quickly uh, like myself. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think what, what you've done, what I'm trying to do, I think we're pioneers in trying to create this movement 
of consumer resilience? Because it really, in my opinion, boils down to really wakening up the consumer to move in this direction. Absolutely. All that information will be in the show notes for the podcast. And I do encourage everybody, I mean, it just get this book and, and read it. It's going to open your eyes to, to things that you're going to go, I don't want to end up like that. I, I can do better. And I think, you know, thanks for what you do, Aris. I think that's a big step getting people in that direction. Well, as you mentioned uh, in the introduction, I'm, I'm a World Trade Center 9-11 survivor. And, uh, you know, I obviously I thank God that day for giving me, uh, you know, a chance to, to continue uh, life. But it made me uh, look at the world differently. I had obviously been in construction for decades uh, before that and, and stayed uh, in, in the industry. But I was as I was looking at our communities and our buildings, I was asking myself, why are these buildings, these homes so vulnerable? Not, not just why are the hazards uh, so strong, but why are the homes and, and buildings so weak? And I realized that we've developed a system that rewards vulnerable development and that the consumer really uh, is in the dark. And, and that's why when I decided, you know, I need to do something to change this. Um, and being from, from inside the industry, I had seen where the skeletons are. I knew where the you know, problems are. And I said, I wanna make this uh, available, this information available to the, to the public. And that's why I wrote the book. And I try to explain in simple language, what goes on in the black box that we call the construction industry, who influences it, What's the role of insurance? What's the role of government? And how all these things are stacked up against the consumer and what really the consumer can do. And also the book was written uh, to bear in mind because I got involved later with the, helping the United Nations, what other countries that are developing very quickly should not be doing using our own experience in the US as kind of a case study, you know, so they don't repeat our mistakes. Yeah, you talk about repeating mistakes. Um, Hank Ovink, said in our film that a, a major disaster is like an x-ray or an MRI. It shows you what your vulnerabilities were, and then you try to determine what's important for you in rebuilding. It just seems like we miss the mark every time. We're not, we're not, we're not getting it yet. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you know, deflecting messages. You know, I mean, I, I'm a believer that, uh, that humans have influenced the climate, but I, I don't like that with every disaster, the, uh, you know, alibi is climate, you know? Uh, I think that deflects accountability uh, because if we really want to understand, and I've stopped calling them natural disasters, I call them development disasters because it's really the natural hazards combined with vulnerable development that led to the disaster. Uh, if we really want to uh, know who the culprit was, we just have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, you know, I see what's wrong, you know? So let's not blame nature. Let's not blame the climate. The, the seeds of our vulnerability have been sown for the last century. Um, and uh, we've created a, a system of, you know, building uh, below the hazard levels. Uh, it's like, you know, building airplanes uh, that, uh, you know, in the first quarter century, let's say, of, of the commercial aviation industry, the planes were flying below the clouds. And guess what? They had a lot of crashes. They had a lot of accidents. Uh, the stewardess had to be trained nurses, you know, to provide medical assistance. And until we designed resilience plane, resilient planes, which means you know, pressurized planes that could fly above the clouds, above the hazard, we wouldn't have a safe uh, commercial aviation industry. Well, guess what? We are still building our homes and our communities below the hazards, you know, and that has to change if we're to really, you know, be sustainable. Yeah, that's, there's no question. I mean, after every disaster or every, anything that goes wrong, they always come out, politicians come out and try to, or, or groups to find something to blame it on. 
And, and my point is, as homeowners, it doesn't matter how that all gets assigned. What are we going to do to protect ourselves? We can't, the blame is irrelevant. We're, we're not going to solve climate change overnight, but we can start building better homes overnight. Exactly, yes. And, and building a better home, building more resilient homes is also going to help the climate because developing and building takes up a lot of natural resources. And in addition to that, whenever you have a disaster, you have tens of thousands of tons of debris that ends up in landfills. You know, so, you know, the, if you want to help the climate, if you want to help the environment, you've got to be resilient. Great advice. Hey, Eris, thanks again for coming on. I appreciate your time. George, thanks for what you're doing and, and very pleased to, to be on your show. Good mm-hmm. luck with it. Thank you for listening to this week's Move the World podcast. If you know somebody that you think might make an interesting guest, somebody that's doing something that you are impressed with and you think moves the world, shoot me an email. I would love to reach out to them and have them as a guest on the program. Also, if you have a chance to visit thelasthousestanding.org, we have some really cool swag on there. A Last House Standing mug that features the house that was in the film, and it it just makes your coffee taste better in the morning. We also have uh, a hat and a t-shirt on there as well. But the most important thing you'll find on that website are links to a lot of resources. If you're thinking of buying a house or moving someplace, It's information that you absolutely must have. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.